0: listening and reading. I was thinking today about how all of these regulations and mandates are starting to lift and I'm actually starting to see a lot more flights on my uh, Facebook feed. uh, Pre-pandemic, it was just constantly three-digit code to three-digit code, YYZ to LAX to JFK, LAG, you name it, it was just a constant stream of that. And then obviously the pandemic hit and it just, That was all just kind of disappeared and we're not flying nearly as much. And for a lot of it, not only does that hurt our, our work, but it also hurts our lifestyle. We've all been, a majority of us got into this industry because of the travel, whether intentionally or not, we all find out that we're going to be going to all these rare and exotic places. And we're going to pull inspiration from the different places that we go, the different people that we meet, the different cultures that we experience And a lot of that has come to a screeching halt for for a very long time, and it's affected us a lot. We've all had to rely on technology to get us from place to place. We have to do remote programming, and uh, we've had to, you know, our whole world has moved to Zoom calls. And so I thought today would be a good day to kind of discuss that with somebody who kind of feels my pain and and can share and can can commiserate with us on that one. Uh, Somebody who is a world traveler, and all, but also has the wherewithal to know that there is a time to take a break and time to get away and, and avoid all the technology. My guest today was recommended by Kevin Lawson, a very good friend of mine. So I hope you will welcome John Daniels. He is the lighting designer at Carpe Diem. He is out of Florida today. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I always love when I get a recommendation. When we start to talk be- before, the, before I hit record, I can tell already that, that it was a great recommendation.
1: I'll have to reach out to Kevin and, and thank him.
0: <laughs> uh, you guys just finished up a show together. It was one of Kevin's uh, first shows back, and uh, he had nothing but nice things to say about working with you.
1: Yeah, we did uh, the Latin American Music Awards down here in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, it was a big show. It was it was the first live show that I have done since the pandemic. Uh, three hours, essentially twenty six performances when you count all the medleys that they try to sneak by us as one performance when we know it's really three. Uh, so, yeah, it was a it was a, a challenging challenging show. Uh, Kevin did a great job. Uh, Kevin typically handles. On my shows, he'll handle the the key lighting, uh, and Felix Peralta typically does all the effects lighting. So we kind of split the rig up it, because there's just so much to do, and you know, the way these shows uh, typically evolve, e- even with the best re- you know choreographing and rehearsing and blocking, things are changing. So you just need somebody dedicated to each one of those tasks, or or you know you will crater.
0: Absolutely, especially when it comes to television. Each one of those is a, a completely unique department.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I've worked with Kevin in the past for years. Uh, we did a lot of shows with Univision. Uh, when Carlos Colina was the lighting designer for the Univision shows, we, we did the Latin Grammys, a uh, couple of shows called Premio Juventud and Premio Nuestro. And Kevin was also basically working for Carlos in that same capacity. Uh, And I was, I was like his LD, but I called spots on the shows. It was kind of a weird relationship that Carlos and I had set up in the truck where he would deal with, with, you know, the programming and the colors and some of those decisions. And I was strictly calling spots and, you know, working with Kevin on levels and things like that. So, so we have a, we have a pretty long history
0: that's cool when you have a relationship that lasts that long where you guys can all just kind of decide who is best at which role. And sometimes the delineations don't make perfect sense, but if the end result uh, is perfect, then what can you do? Let's do that again.
1: Well, yeah. And and with these guys, it's time is of the essence as well. And and it's just nice to work with professionals that, that are going to sell their art. And a lot of times you're going to buy it because it's exactly what you wanted, you know, and, and, and it's nice to be able to have the input too, to say, Hey, you know what, you know, change this angle and, and nobody gets offended. Uh, you know, there's many ways to skin a cat, you know, uh, for this, I wanted this and let, let's try this direction. And, and there's times when I don't say anything and I'm like, wow, that's looks beautiful. I, I wouldn't have touched it <laughs> or done it any other way. So, so it's just nice when you, when you get, I think it's too, when you get to that level of confidence with yourself, that it's okay to to just let other people drive and, and, you know, let, let it just take its, let it flow and, and don't be so insecure that if someone comes up with a great idea, you have to take credit for it. Uh, on the contrary, I, I, that's kind of made my life so much easier. And, and, and I, and I think the product speaks for itself when you let everybody kind of have a voice in, in the way the, the final product is going to look.
0: Oh, I'm definitely going to have to ask you more questions about that. There's, there's so much of that. A lot of people, there's a lot of different egos in the television and, uh, and rock and roll market where you, sometimes you just, you spend more time appeasing egos than you do getting any work done. Uh, we will, I will definitely circle back to that. Okay. What I wanted to talk to you about it today is I got into this industry knowing the amount of traveling and the amount of different places that are possible Uh, In fact, I'm in Dubai right now and I'm going to bring my kids out here soon so that they can experience the Middle East or at least the Dubai version of the Middle East. I know that you've also traveled quite a bit. In fact, you've, you've lived a bit of a kind of a nomadic lifestyle.
1: When I was five, my dad got a job. He was an engineer for the Corps of Engineers. He got a job in Saudi Arabia. So we moved over there when I was five and we stayed there for 10 years basically until my junior year in high school so i really grew up in the middle east and uh and this was in the 70s you know early 70s to early 80s so it's it's not the the world that like you would experience in dubai today no Uh, and and saudi arabia obviously is not dubai but it was a much more conservative uh country at that at that time and um it was very segregated. You know, we would Americans or any of the foreigners or expats that were living in the country basically lived in their own compounds, uh, segregated from, from, you know, the population. Um, But it was a great upbringing. You know, the, the school that I went to, I think in, in fourth grade had 44 nationalities. So in my classroom, I could have people from 15 to 20 countries. So you were really exposed to the people from all over the world. You know, we were, it was an English speaking curriculum, but, but you may have been one of two English speaking, you know, native English speaking students in the class. So you know, from that standpoint, it was, just, it was just a wonderful opportunity to be exposed to, to different peoples and cultures and ideas. And I, I, I fondly look back on those times, some of the best times of my life.
0: So Saudi Arabia in the seventies, there wasn't nearly the expanse of English speaking people or, I mean, definitely your, your products weren't in English. You had to learn a certain amount of Arabic, I would imagine.
1: Well, the, you know, there were, yeah, the basic terminology, some of, you know, some of the stores that we would go to, to buy things like locally, the Arabs that worked there could speak uh, some English and, and then to make it even more interesting. My mother was from Colombia. So she would, she brought her Colombian flair of, 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 you know, haggling and, and, and trying to barter with, with Arabs, you know, and, and my dad would have to sometimes, you know, have to tell her, Hey, you have to calm down. Like, first of all, (laughs) I have, and this is back in the seventies. My dad was, you know, (laughs) a woman, the the native women here are, are completely covered in an abaya. You can't even see their faces. And my mom is like going off and, 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 you know, so my dad would have to settle her down. It's like, you can't talk to these guys that way. You got to calm down. You're drawing attention to yourself. So I remember many times we'd start, my mom would want to buy something and it would end up in this full scale, like argument. And we'd have to leave because my mom had gotten so out of control trying to, to you know, get the guy to come down in price. Uh, my dad would have to escort us back to the car. Just crazy scenarios that you would find yourself <laughs> in, in in a foreign country, like in 1974,
0: I would imagine from her perspective, she wasn't even getting worked up. She's like, no, this is like a national pastime. This is, this is just what we do. This is how we shop. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's, that's, she was just, for her, it was business as usual for, for my dad. It was like, you lack any situational awareness. So <laughs> those were the, you know, those were the conversations that we'd, we'd be listening to on the way home after, after an outing like that. <laughs>
0: So you were there for 10 years. I would imagine you got to see at least you were younger. I don't know if you would have recognized much political change, but I mean, that's something that is, I mean, Saudi Arabia is constantly progressing.
1: Yeah. I think back then it was a little bit, it was, it was more, it was a little more stable than it is today, maybe. And it was still a kingdom. It's the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, but it was still growing at that point. Uh, A lot of the projects my dad worked on were infrastructure for the country, hospitals, military bases. You know, at that, at that point, the, the Saudis in general were not, you know, working per se. They were importing every sort of every facet of construction and, and workers and, and because they had the money, you know, the, mm. the oil would pay for all of that. So there were big German contractors, Korean contractors, Japanese contractors, country uh i know canada had a big influence there sweden everything was was basically imported and at a very high level you know so the 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 construction sites that my dad worked on and some of the developments he worked on were really state-of-the-art back in the day
0: that's very cool i can only imagine the education you would get over there we moved out of the united states to make sure that my kids got a good education that that didn't portray North America as the entire world. I'd imagine you got to learn a little bit of every different nation.
1: Exactly. It it wasn't uh, USA centric for sure. We would come back to the United States every two years for a vacation for like 45 days. But other than that, it was, you know, every six months, the, the Corps of Engineers would pay for a vacation. Typically, you'd go to Europe or Africa, you know, safari in Kenya, things like that. Like, because you were already, you know, geographically, you're much closer to those places. So mm-hmm. Africa was a, literally a two or three hour flight. London was probably five or six hours. And then from there, you could springboard to, you know, to the Far East, you know, Japan, Korea,
0: China. Right so,
1: yeah, a lot of traveling. And really, yeah, I didn't, I, like I said, I moved back here, back to the United States when I was 15. And, one of the things that happened in Saudi Arabia was the schooling there for expats only went up to ninth grade, because they didn't want a bunch of young teenagers uh, in the country. So, tenth tenth grade, you know, for obvious reasons, you know, hormonal changes. They said we have to get yeah. your kids out of here. So, for tenth grade, I went to boarding school in Rome, Italy, with all of my, you know, a good portion of my friends that I that I had been in saudi arabia going to school with so it was just like i think it was like six of us basically going to school in italy and then that became a whole nother (laughs) chapter of debauchery and fun and (laughs) drinking at 15
0: and (laughs) we don't want all these horny teenagers in saudi arabia send them to italy
1: yeah and there were a lot of choices of schools to go to you you could go to what schools in london and spain and switzerland cyprus So people took, you know, everyone made their choice where they wanted to go. But yeah, at ninth grade, you were out of there.
0: So you've always had a very diverse group of friends then. You've never had a a monochromatic upbringing.
1: No, and 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 a lot of those, you know, a lot of those friends that I had from that era, you know, just from being, you know, just a small population living in a foreign country, You really become close to those people. You know, I I lived in a compound of 100 houses, 100 villas, and that's it, and you're surrounded by desert. So you really become close to those people, and those are really most of my best friends today are people that I grew up with in Saudi Arabia or some of the friends that I went to school with in in Italy. You just keep those friendships. They're they're long-lasting.
0: All right. So how long... How long did your boarding school in, uh, in Italy last?
1: Well, unfortunately, I only went for one year. In retrospect, I should have stayed and graduated. A bunch of my friends did. But I, I wanted to come back to the United States just to see what school was like here, to see what life was like in the U.S. Because, you know, I moved when I was so young. I, I hadn't experienced America in any capacity, basically, until I was 15. So, uh, So we moved back my junior year of high school. Back to South Florida.
0: Back, uh, you're an immigrant in your own in your own country. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that was that was fun. You know, that was exactly that's exactly what it was. I was an, an immigrant in my own country, and that's how I felt for a little bit.
0: How exciting to see the United States, especially Florida, with all new eyes. Florida's Florida is shocking to even some Americans. You're like, wow, this place exists. This is what an interesting place this is.
1: Right, right. It's, it's different in its own way, uh, for sure. So, yeah, it was, uh, but, you know, after having, you know, traveled extensively, you know, it wasn't quite that shocking. And, have, you know, having moved a couple of times, you know, you, you, you learn how to deal with those moves and, and assimilate into a new culture and a new school. And, and I think a lot of those attributes that you learn at a young age you know and I, for me anyways have helped me in my career just being able to deal with people being able to almost just disappear into the background when i need to and you know almost be like an observer which which a lot of you know a lot of those characteristics help me now just being open to looking at things watching things uh whatever it took for me to to survive you know all those. You know, there were pretty big moves when you're young. Um, I think they benefited me.
0: That's refreshing to hear. Uh, when I think of the American culture, and especially today with the the online stuff, it's it's far more about being seen than it is about observing. Whereas somebody who's sitting back and observing learns a lot more than the person who's being seen.
1: Oh, for sure, or for sure, and 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 you know, like like I was saying, like going downtown in Saudi Arabia, you really had to be on your best behavior. You know, there, there was no goofing around. There were laws that had to be abided. You know, you had to do things a certain way. You had to respect you. It was, uh, it was definitely, it it taught you discipline, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and street smarts.
0: Yeah. I'm finding it to be very similar here in Dubai. Uh, you know, there are no such things. as, I mean, human rights exist, but they're, they're not exactly respected in the same way as they are in North America. They're, they only exist as far as you don't cross the line. If, as soon as you cross the line, you'll find out that they, that they don't.
1: Oh yeah. No, that, 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 that I remember a, a great story to your point. Um, I remember there was a a German kid who had gotten into a rock fight just throwing rocks that was kind of the pastime that we would find ourselves in you know you'd be outside the compound or outside your villa and you'd end up in a rock fight with local Arab boys and this particular day this German boy threw a rock it, and it hit the Arab boy in the eye and he had to go to the hospital he lost his eye and the Arab father wanted an eye for an eye so the german family they were basically on a flight that night out of the country because had they waited any longer you know that could have happened so so yeah it was uh that was the Ooh. way it was
0: yeah you, when you're a guest in their country then there's there's little else there's little recourse you have available to you like well yeah yeah, town posse is going to come take an eye and, and this is just kids goofing it. off
1: yeah and this is just kids goofing off and an accident happened and and you know things could have things things went sideways real quick
0: it's, it's even biblical that you know some people will say well that's the law lo- that's the law of the land not because yeah. we said so but because the word came from up above that that's how it works around here
1: yeah, no, it was, uh, that was the way it was. I remember one time we went, the weekends were Thursday and Friday and they, I, they may still be in the middle East yeah, uh, or they, yeah. and there was a, there's a place in Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia called head chopper square where criminals are, you know, if, if you've killed somebody, your, your, your head will be cut off. If you've stolen, they'll cut off your right hand. And So that you can't use it to shake hands and then shaking with the left hand is an, a, an insult. Yeah. Um, and women would be stoned to death if they committed adultery. Anyways, we were downtown and I guess my parents didn't know exactly where we were. And somehow we start getting pushed, you know, we get surrounded by people and we're pushed. And right there hanging on on a, like a fence post or two hands, you know, and, and my brother and I was probably like five, like seven years old and you're looking at that and you can't even understand what it is. Like it's, you don't even know if it's real, you know, somehow my parents got us out of there and covered our eyes. And, but, uh, but if you get caught down there that you will be pushed to see it. And, and if it was like a stoning, you will be uh, you will be coerced into throwing stones. So, you know, note to self avoid head chopper square on a Friday. Ooh. So yeah, that stuff really still does happen. Well, I I don't know how much that happens now. I know they're they're starting to to become liberal at least uh, ostensibly. I don't know if if that's really the case, but uh,
0: but uh, the yeah, the most that. recent thing I heard is they finally allowed women the ability to get driver's licenses. Uh, if that's uh, an example of liberalization then then we'll accept the baby steps.
1: Yeah, oh for them that's that's pretty giant. You know, and if if you look at it, you know, over the course of 40 or 50 years, you're like, wow, that's, you couldn't have even imagined that just a short time ago. But, but yeah, I have heard that, but, but I also hear that, you know, they don't make it easy. You know, there's, there's so many strings attached to it that you might as well not even get the license. Like it's useless, you know,
0: Mm. that makes sense. I'm sure it makes a great headline and then they just kind of bury the finer details lower there. Uh, in Dubai, I'm finding it to be a little bit different. I feel like they're, they're kind of more embracing to bringing the expats in. So they have to make it attractive to the expats. In fact, they're, as far as I know, they just opened it up to allow people who don't work in the UAE, uh, temporary visas to live and work here. Uh, so they're, they're doing their best to, inv- to bring more people here. Cause they know that the more people, the more the more buying, people will do if they if they're here.
1: Well, I, I also think, uh, like I know for, well for the Middle East in general, I, I think they're starting to see the writing on the wall in terms of, the supply for for oil. Uh, eventually, will will start to wane, and and as we go electric, you know they're going to have to come up with a new resource for for their economy. I mean that's basically that what's kept them alive, for yeah. you know the last. 80 years so they definitely have to come up with alternative sources you know for for some sort of economy if it's tourism or i know in in saudi arabia they're they're actually they have a formula one race this year in jeddah and i believe Mm -hmm. they're building a huge park in in outside outskirts of riyadh that will be it have the large it's going to have the largest roller coaster in the world and i think they're going to build a formula one track there so they're trying to to pivot away from from, you know, dependency on, on oil, but it's going to take a while. And and obviously they have to start changing some of those, those, uh, you know, human right issues that, yeah that are, you know, the rest of the world really frowns upon.
0: Yeah. You can only draconian laws can only last for so long until the rest of the world's like, Hey, we, we came up with better options. You don't have to do that anymore, but it, that does sound pretty traumatic walking through the square and seeing Some hands. I would imagine if you go back home and your parents are like, yeah, if you get caught stealing, that's what that's what happens. I would imagine (laughs) a little more incentivized to not steal then.
1: Yeah, I don't know if they if they did that to me to really traumatize me, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've never stolen. So maybe (laughs) Yeah, it was as good an incentive as any to not steal.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure if that's correlation or causation there, but you definitely are not a thief today. So exactly. There's something there. Yeah. All right. We've, we've totally gone down this rabbit hole. Let's, let's bring this back to lighting for a second. So okay. after all this, all of this worldly education, when did you decide that that lighting was, was your passion?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's kind of like the old story. Uh, you want to be the lighting guy. Um <laughs> so I graduated from a, yeah, it, it, there, it wasn't, it didn't work out that way, but
0: you got uh, the short so, straw.
1: Yeah. I, I, I graduated from uh, FIU with a degree in communications and it was kind of like a, it was geared around TV production. And uh, we had some classes over at the local public station, WPBT in Miami, channel two. So they were looking for, an intern, uh, to do various duties, but one of them was like a camera operator, uh, which is what I wanted to do at that point. You know, I want to be a camera operator or director, never really thought about lighting. So I go to apply for the job and basically they said, well, the only thing we have available right now is hanging lights. And I was like, okay, uh, fine. So, you know, I said, I'll get my foot in the door and then I'll transition out of this to camera or something at some point. So I started hanging lights and I found that I I really enjoyed it and um, it was a great environment. It was very stress-free. We had lots of time. I had a a mentor there named Tony Puente, who was the, I guess the house LD who was really patient. And, you know, we would, we would just, he and I would light a show. We could take six days to light a small talk show. So, you know, I'd hang the lights and we'd put diffusion on and I'd, you know, we'd, look at the silk, no, let's try, let's do a spun, let's do a half spun, let's do, you know, and it was just playing with light for hours and hours and and learning how to focus and and control light physically. Um, So, you know, from that standpoint, that was really a a great place to learn. Um, And then we got to do other, other jobs, you know, working there, you would be expected to maybe one day run camera, maybe one day you're an A2, Stage manager, um, teleprompter—you know whatever, whatever was needed—and uh, and it was good experience to be able to to become well-rounded and learn everyone's role and, and how all these different you know positions and in, in production work. So I got exposed to all that, but it was primarily lighting. I'd say seventy-five percent of the time I was hanging lights, and I did that for I don't know maybe seven years. Uh, right on. Just strictly working there and and then starting to freelance outside of there i did some camera work for espn for some sports i got hooked up like i said before we started the podcast i did a little audio with nbc uh some stage managing so i was just kind of dabbling in a bunch of different things in tv production but all the while continually lighting and working with light um and then eventually that all you know led to me being hired as a lighting director at Univision. This is probably
0: 1990,
1: Okay. So, you know, and that was a big, that was a big decision for for myself and my wife because, you know, I had been freelancing and I was starting to make a pretty good salary freelancing. I had a bunch of clients and this was going to become, you know, a a full-time job at a network. probably it was a pay decrease, you know, financially it was a decrease in pay, but uh, it was a real position and a real title. And, you know, like, Hey, this could be a career. So, so I jumped in and, and the rest is history.
0: Nice. Yeah. So you literally went from zero to a hundred in just a few years going from, I mean, you can't imagine your degree in communication had set you up for this.
1: No, no. There's not a lot of lighting, and unless you're like a fine arts major, and, you know, you're and you're working at a theater or something, and you, you get exposed to maybe one or two classes in lighting. I mean, lighting is kind of one of those things that you, you know it's the same classic story. You know, hey, you want to be the lighting guy, yeah. and you just learn as you go. But I was fortunate, you know. I, like I said, I, I had a mentor there for the first part, and then. And then there was another. There were a couple of good lighting directors at Univision. A guy named Kurt Contrada and a guy named Carlos Colina, who, who also kind of mentored me uh, for the next phase. So, from that standpoint, you know, it was it was there was always a good opportunity to learn and and to grow and. And, you know, that's kind of been my mantra is just, you know, you got to keep growing, you got to keep learning. And and I think once I get to the point where I feel like I'm not learning anymore, like I, I just don't want to be gigging, you know, and and I know we have to, we have to make a living and, and there's a lot of things in life you have to balance. But if if, if it's not something where I feel like I'm, I'm learning or growing in my career or, you know, it, it'll be time to start thinking about something else.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that one. The more I start to travel, the more I want to be at home. And then the more I'm at home, I want to start traveling again. And I don't know if it's because I just get bored or if it's because what, like you're saying, like, I I haven't learned anything new in the last year. So it's time to move on to something. Just just shake myself up and get out of my comfort zone. I would imagine Similar things. Yeah. I think that's what you're describing.
1: Well, yeah, it becomes work and nobody wants to work. <laughs> right. I mean, the first we, day we you all realize
0: you're at work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We all kind of pride ourselves, you know, Hey, we have this cool gig and it's fun and it's glamorous. And yeah, we know there's some work involved and, and, but it's not like your nine to five gig where, you know, you're sitting at a cubicle logging into the computer and punching in your time card. You know, like you said, we, we travel, we get to, meet interesting people see interesting things you know so so trying to stay away from that that nine to five vibe where where it just becomes you know monotonous and 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 you know trying to avoid that so once i, I always feel once i start getting to that point you know i have to you know think of something different so that's why it's always you know and i tell all the guys i work with like go, we gotta we gotta keep keep it changing we got, you know yeah, we had a great show, it looked great. What are we doing this time? It's gotta be different. It's gotta be different. It's gotta be different. You have to keep relevant. You know, the, the producers loved what you did last year, but you know what, it looks the same. Can we do something different? And there's people that are doing different things that that we all see, you know, as we look on YouTube and we see other people's work, like, wow, that's cool. So for me, it's constantly, you know, changing things up, trying something else. Hey, it may not work, you know, and we can fail it's okay to fail but it's all subjective i mean it really has to be horrific for it for it to fail you know we can always say that it was art and that was an art creative decision <laughs> right so we you know we can always fall back on that bs but uh but that's as long as we can describe fun.
0: our bs then yeah you're absolutely right as long as we can justify what we've done then then we're we're, eight, we're tits to go right there yeah yeah
1: yeah it looked terrible but it was different <laughs> so, so that's, that's really, you know, to me, that's what's, what's become the challenge. And, and then as you know, too, obviously we've transitioned from hard sets to a uh, projection to video screens now. So it's, it's lighting. We've had to evolve, you know, and, and in my career uh, you know, I started lighting hard sets. So you're up there with a, a par 64 and give me a medium, you know, lens. And now that's, that's too wide. Let's try a a narrow. Okay. I like that. And, and, you know, foil and to, to focusing with some movers, early movers to now, now look at us We're we're surrounded by video.
0: Yeah. In fact, I was, was that part of the appeal of Univision? It's just knowing that you weren't going to be any, you weren't going to be pigeonholed in anything. It sounds like, Univision kind of had that built in that you wouldn't be doing the same thing every day.
1: Well, we had, we had various shows to work on. Um, you could be out on the beach with four to six HMI's lighting some morning dance show on Miami beach to a running spotlight for a, like a variety show to network news to an interview style show, like an Oprah Winfrey. Um, mm-hmm to these big shows that we do at arenas so so that's what that was kind of interesting you know and and, and I think that's one of the things I do you know like uh, I'll do a Latin American Music Awards and then I think last couple of years ago I, I lit an interview with President Trump um, just being being able to work in a bunch of different worlds and just different disciplines within lighting you know all those years of just being able to to hang lights and work on all these different shows. I, I, like you said, I wasn't pigeonholed into one specific type of, you know, track of lighting be it concert lighting or theater or TV uh, or a specific type of TV, you know, news or something like that, just kind of doing everything and that's kind of kept it interesting for me as well.
0: And the diversity is kind of built into a job like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: For sure that's very cool uh, so when you when you're lighting for television and and you're doing all those different events do you find yourself lighting for functionality or do you have time to kind of express your art at the at the same time I think
1: both uh, like for example I, I just lit a show for uh, Telemundo Network it's their morning show like let's say it's good a good morning America type show and um, obviously there's task lighting that has to be done. You know, the town has to look a certain way. And, and with that type of lighting, you have to be more forgiving because they want multi-camera shoot, you know, angles. Um, they want to be able to walk from here to here. And I find that the Hispanic world is, is a little bit more, uh, more dynamic in the sense of that they, they want movement. You know, it, it's not just this one shot, uh, Anderson Cooper on CNN, where it's just a headshot or Chris Como and that's it. You know, no, it's Mm going to be, he's going to be here. Then we're going to do a stand up at the stairs and we're going to do a 360. Then we want to walk over here. So it's challenging to, to make that all look the way it should look on camera uh, from different angles. So, you know, there, there is, uh, there's some compromise, you know, obviously if, if you can just dial in one camera from one angle, you can make it perfect. But
0: right.
1: my challenge is to, to make the talent look good from three angles, you know, and, and how is that gonna work? And, and I have to leave it with uh, a board op that's just gonna bring up a, a fader. He, he's not gonna bring this side down and bring this side up or change the backlight level because they turn. he doesn't care. He's, he's, you know, for all I know, he's on Facebook. So I have to leave things in a way where it's just, I have to take that person out of the equation, you know?
0: I totally want to go down that rabbit hole. I see that all the time. And when I see other people doing it, I kind of like furrow my brow. I'm like, Oh, look at that guy on Facebook in the middle of work. And then I realize that I'm on Facebook at the, in the middle of work. I'm like, well, and I try and separate myself. Like, well, I I'm doing it because I need to check in on my clients and stuff. But, but
1: are you, are you seeing that more and more? Well, I, you know what, what I, what I think's happened is I think that on a lot of these shows that are being run at networks, uh, they'll bring in a lighting designer, we'll bring in a, a top VCO, we'll dial the show in. It'll look beautiful the day we're there. Everything, everyone's happy. And then obviously they can't afford to keep us there every day. The show's daily. So they'll find like a stage manager or somebody, uh, you know, a part-timer to run the console. Mm-hmm. And and then at that point, you know, you're out of there. Uh they rotate directors. So the shot that you lit for was great when the camera's in this position, but if you truck the camera four feet to the left, now things don't look quite the same. And then you get an email, hey, the lighting doesn't look the same. Well, yeah, the camera's six feet to the left. How is it going to look the same? He's six feet away from his key light. Oh, you know, and then, so I think the, the challenge is that, that trying to maintain the consistency and, and teaching good habits to the networks on, mm-hmm. you know, and explain it how, how do these other networks achieve what they achieve? Well, there's consistency. It's the same camera. It's the same direction. We don't reinvent the show or we have to reinvent the lighting, you know? Yeah. So it's educating them on, and and before it came from, you know, just anger. Why are you moving things? I, I can't work this way, you know, to guys, if you move it, it's gonna look, it's not gonna look the way you want it to look as long as you're okay with that. I'm just letting you know, the more you move this way, things are gonna change. Okay, okay. so making them understand that it's not about me. It's about the reality of lighting. You know, it's, it's a science as well. And as you change mm-hmm. the environment, things are going to change. And I, I'm not going to be there to fix it. And I don't know if you have anyone that's going to be qualified to, to fix what you've done, you know, pl- follow you guys around. And, and then, you know, the, the VCO, different VCO comes in, he starts adjusting the cameras. Like I try to tell him, Hey, let's set this up, save the scene file everything should stay the same. The lighting's never gonna change, especially now that we're with LED, everything's LED. I mean, it's virtually spot on. I can come back six months later, put my light meter on its exact color Mm -hmm. to intensity. So we don't have that variable of gels burning or lamp degradation or whatever. So it's so easy, just call the same scene file. We all agree that this is what we like, but invariably I'll come in and a, a, a different VCO has changed Whatever settings in the cameras, the iris is not where it was. Now the video screen is too hot, and 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 it's getting back to those little simple habits. Of guys, this is real simple. You gotta just keep the consistency. The camera has to say where it was. The, yeah. the scene file has to stay the same. We haven't changed a thing. Trust me. We only have one guy. He's at a console. He's not moving lights. I can tell you that. He's not up there refocusing. So
0: <laughs> he's clearly uh, on Facebook. He hasn't moved. Yeah.
1: So, so it's, 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 that's really the struggle. It's, it's kind of educating the, the crew and the producers that we work with as to you know, why things are the way they are and, and having them understand that it's not a, just something that we're making decisions on because we, want, we don't want to be flexible. It just requires more fixtures and more time. And So yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of one of the challenges that I find myself dealing with a lot lately.
0: I I wonder if we've made it too simple for operators. They don't have the same level of maintenance to, to keep track of. They don't have to keep changing gels or fixing scrollers or fixing VL5s anymore. Once we install lights now, especially LED moving lights, they just, you become a Maytag repairman. And I wonder if We've just made it so simple that now people either have to be on Facebook all the time, or they just have to make up new things to complicate their gig to make make it look like they're doing something.
1: Yeah, no, I mean that's a good point. I, I think, I think not having the opportunity to actually physically work with light, you know, it's is one aspect of it. Understanding, you know, looking at a looking at a monitor, and saying, okay, that shadow, and knowing exactly which light it is. And say, okay, that's causing this, and fixing it real quick because you understand exactly what each light's doing just by looking at the monitor. Um, that skill set, I think, is is one that's being, you know, I guess it's just a thing of the past. It's going, it's starting to be lost. That that art, mm-hmm. um, but but you know, again, the, the the young kids growing up today, you know, they're immersed in all these consoles that. Just to be able to run the console requires a skill set as well, you know. So, yeah. as much as I maybe look down and say, "Hey, you guys don't understand light," uh, uh, I have no idea how you're doing what you're doing. You know, I have no <laughs> idea how you're. You know, I mean, I know what you're doing, but I, I'm not going to even. I'm not even going to try to dig into that. You know, all of what you're doing. Um, yeah. So it, it's so so. That's one of the things I do with a lot of the young guys I work with. You know, it's it's about teaching them as we're tweaking you know why we're doing it it's not to say come down with that 10 percent. why are we coming down with that 10 percent? you see how hot his head is or do you see that shadow you see that little that you see how it's kicking off their cheek and you know the angle of this incidence do you understand that concept so just explaining you know principles of lighting to to the young guys so that so that for one i don't have to be there every every second and if i'm not there they're going to represent me and understand my methods and, and my art and and that allows me to, to, work on other gigs and, and, and maintain the consistency of, of, of our little group of guys that we work with.
0: Yeah. You, uh, you have to constantly be teaching them because if, just like you said, if, if they stop learning too, they're not, they're under no incentive to keep working with you either. Next thing, you know, they're just going to turn their brain off and, but they won't even notice that the camera has moved. I'd be like, yeah. It's oh, exactly.
1: There exactly and and, and and then especially in TV you have to understand how the camera works with with the lighting and, and you know all those little things that that come with you know how much video you're using uh, what type of light wh- what are we setting the iris at what's our depth of field which you know over years it, now it's all simple but but in reality they're very simple principles you know like there's three or four of them like, I do a lot of work down in Mexico I was doing I did eight seasons of the voice down there at uh, Televisa Studios with a company called Dharma great mm-hmm. video uh, company and we would be in studio five and next door in studio six there'd be another show I mean it would be there were 100 foot candles 20 colors F100s going and the same VCO that was controlling our show was controlling that show. And their producer would come in, why does it look like shit? And the engineer at the, at the studio is like, well, look at what you're turning into the VCO here to work with. And he's, he's working with the same, he's working, you know, he's doing video for this show here, the voice and look at this show, look how it looks. And it was just, the lighting's too bright. You got too many colors. You're not using a DF 50. Like you literally could go in there and turn things around in 20 minutes, just big, Big, swift things that you could do to make that make a show so much better, and and they see it. It's like imagine you see somebody doing something next to you, and you're like, "Wow, that looks incredible!" And you've given them the keys to the kingdom. Right? Like uh, I'm not hiding the secrets. We work at a two four, and it's twenty foot candles, and we're using this much haze, and you know this is how I focus. I've worked with all your team here. They they work on the same set next door. How can that not translate? How can that not permeate down? And I find that it doesn't, you know, and you just have to shake your head and say, oh, I, don't, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it.
0: Do you think a lot of that has to do with the the meteoric transition of technology that has happened even in the last 10 years where we've we've gone from two scene presets and, and four universes being almost unimaginable to fill to now that we're doing like 30, 40, 50, 90 universe rigs. Do you think people are just losing their, losing their mind because they can't keep up?
1: Well, I mean, in this specific example, I, I think for that scenario that I was explaining, I think what happens down there is, is I think there's a, there's not a lot of respect between producers and the technical side. And okay. producers come in and they just, hey, this is what I want. And, and, you know, if you're not respecting your technical team and, and what their input, you're doomed, you know, you're going to be doomed. So
0: yeah.
1: I think that's what happens down there. Um, okay. but, but to what you're saying, uh, obviously, you know, with, with, with all these universes, you, you know, the key is, 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 uh, organization. I do a lot of work with Felix Peralta. He's, he's my main man. And, uh, and it's all about organizing it and and it's really the same thing. It's it's hey guys, it's the same principles. Yes, now this light has eighty-eight channels or 133 channels, but ultimately what's gonna happen? Light's gonna come out of the lens, right? And it's gonna hit something and it's gonna either chase or stroke. I mean we have a lot of universes and these shows have gotten bigger, but essentially a lot it stayed the same I and mean, it's still the same thing. You know, there's, there's going to be, there's going to be some effects happening. There's going to be some beams. There's going to be a, you know, you can break it down, right? An intro, uh, there's gonna be a chorus. We're gonna do a nice ending and and there's our performance. So I, I think it's, it's not being overwhelmed by all of that. You know, all these parameter uh, changes and, and control changes and, and really, like I learned from, from the guys that work for me, I learned from them, you know, it's all about, it's about setting yourself up for success. It's about organizing your console. You know, it's about building the proper groups, right? If I say, Hey, I want every other light, you should already have that group made, you you know, don't waste your time, build your groups, you know, build your effects and everything should be, I should be able to, and especially the shows we work on, there's not a lot of time. You, you, You have 30 minutes and you're doing, you know, three passes and then it airs live, you know, and it's a big show and there's 30 dancers and, and all kinds of stuff going on. There's no time for you to be looking for something. It already has to be, you have to have saved it. You already have to have those organizational skills. And, and, and that's what we try to teach and impress all the guys that work with us, uh, is to get all your, get your layouts all dialed in, um, Cause mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than standing there. You're waiting, you know, for somebody to grab a light you've got, you've got, you know, some artists production manager standing over your shoulder. Cause he doesn't like the way it looks. And, and, and I'm waiting for someone to find the light and to change the color or something mm-hmm. like that. It has to be, it has to be instant. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I think we've grown incrementally, you know, if you've been in the business long enough, you, you've gone from, you know, however many channels and a light to whatever we are now. So it, that shock hasn't been so abrupt for us because we've kind of gone through the progression, right? As these mm-hmm. fixtures have become more sophisticated. Um, I, I think for, for me personally, and, and one of the things that, that, that we have a hard time uh, explaining is, is, you know, and getting into, let's say, pre and trying to justify the previs model to a TV production. We don't have time for that. We don't have money for that. And I'm like, yeah, but, but you keep adding performances, right? Like we don't have the time to do this, right. You know, to Mm -hmm. do it the way we want to do it. So what do we find ourselves doing? We find ourselves, you know, sneaking a console back to the hotel room and working offline, right. On our own time, right. Just to make sure we don't fail. Right. And, and it's not, I don't think that's fair to, to the crew to, to, you know, we're not going to let ourselves fail, you know? So it's, it's getting production to understand, Hey guys, you know, we're at our threshold now, now, now you're digging into our own personal time and just because of pride uh, we're not going to let it fail, but, but we have to be compensated, you know, for, for the time and effort. And, and, and that's why we asked for a pre model, you know, th- these are mm-hmm. not just things that we're inventing a line item to spend money. Uh, they're, you know, valuable assets to the show, which are going to help us. And, and, and if we could really, you know, maximize it, we could help you look at things together with us and maybe we could even explore, you know, it's just, there's just not never, it just never seems like there's enough time, but that's, that is a that's conversation another
0: thing that pops up all the time now. Whereas before we had previs work ended when we left the console in the venue. Now the console and the venue are on our laptops too. And we end up doing exactly what you're saying. We end up prevising to save our own skin on our time because we're, because we're artists and we're craftsmen. We're, we're dedicated to it. And next thing you know, you've realized you've just wasted your entire weekend doing something that you should have been paid to do.
1: Right. Right. And it's just because of the passion and, and the love and, and, the, you know, you're not going to fail and your own standards, but, but I think, you know, we start to get exploited there if, if we don't, you know, and it's, it's, that's a tough one because at some point you have to say, no, you know, you have to say, you know, I, I, I can't do this. Like the the terms and what we're asking for is just, it's not going to be fair to me or the crew, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough situation. And I know for a lot of the shows I do, we add, you know, we have band adders, so we may come in with another 20 or 30 lights for this performance. And then you really only have 20 or 30 minutes to program them, you know? So that's where I find previs can be more valuable for the, for like the band adders for each specific performance, at least just getting control of those fixtures and flashing through them and, and just building some, some presets that you can call on uh, Mm -hmm. because in 30 minutes, you know, you you throw out, you know, eight towers with a bunch of Tetra, Roby Tetra twos and Roby spiders. And and then by the time you just start to, you know, figure the light out, they're taking them off the stage, you know, forget, forget (laughs) art. (laughs) Talking about art, you're not going to have time. You're barely getting time to fax them out.
0: Yes, I can implement them in thirty minutes. I can't do anything artsy or cool with them in thirty minutes. Like, it's going to take me thirty minutes to even get them to turn on and lamped on, or find out seven of the seventy attributes that they have. It's frustrating. Yeah. yeah, I share that with you. I, and sadly, you're you're absolutely right. In even with, if you were to do those thirty minutes in previs and then have that thirty minutes on site, you could do exponentially more with those fixtures
1: right oh exactly so so you know there's a lot of great ideas and, 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 and some of this can also you know maybe it, it can be attributed to, to the people that are that are doing the creative uh, the creatives for some of these things where you know I can't tell you how many times I get a, an email for a performance and, and then I get a, a picture you know in the spirit of this and, and it's a picture of some you know big ending on Eurovision. And, and I just laugh, right? I'm like, like, okay. I mean, this is, yeah, this is phenomenal. Look, look how beautiful that is. Uh, we don't have the budget and we don't have the time. So I, I love the, the, you know, the reference that you're making, but uh, how, how are we going to do that? When are we going to do that? How, how much money do you have? Oh, we have, you know, $1,500. Okay. That rig that, that you see in this shot, that right there is probably about $150,000 worth of lighting on that one shot. And Mm -hmm. so we have enough money for pizza for the crew. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's, and that's what I'm finding. I'm finding, I'm finding now, and especially in this video world where the creatives, I call them that, and, and they're all very nice people and I love them all, but now I get an email and it, it basically shows what lights I'm supposed to use, right? Like there's a picture of a, a roby point or a mega point right and this is the color that we want and so in some ways you know it's like well you guys are doing all the work like for me like and i'm not even able to to look at listen to the music and come up with my own concept uh on how i would do it The you know the lighting designer i have you know uh some young kid out of college that's just taking pictures off the internet and saying oh, this is what we want and this is how many you need and, you know and so that's kind of been a little bit of a, a challenge as well, as is, is trying to, you know, stay relevant, work with 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 all the people that I have to work with, but but also express my own art, you know, and say, hey, I, I like the pictures, but that's the wrong fixture. Like, listen to the song. We don't need point you know we don't need beams here this could be a great tungsten number let's get some you know kr25s or whatever you know going a whole nother direction like those are the decisions that a lighting designer wants to make so i kind of find a lot of the of the decision making is is kind of being taken away because it's been morphed into this creative that comes as an extension of whoever's doing the content for video i don't know that's just that's something that i'm finding uh, you know, lately where I get a, a content treatment plus lighting suggestions, plus colors, plus, you know.
0: It's unfortunate so, too, because that's so, I, I hope that that's unintentionally insulting. You know, well, it doesn't sound it like intentional, but they're like, Hey, I, I Googled this and I think this is cool. You're like, yeah, you, you just Google that and you, your experience of a day is not equivalent to my 20 years of experience in the industry. Let me tell you a much better way to do this. And then, but it sounds like the decision has already been made before you even get to plead your case.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that's good because someone has to make a decision. Someone's, someone's working. There's someone that's considering the creative and then looking at the choreography and, you know, I, I, and I, you know, applaud all that effort, but but somewhere in this whole situation and this, you know, the, the, the the lighting designer and the decision-making that the lighting designer makes is starting to be compromised a little bit. Um, in that aspect, I, you know, I, another thing I find that sometimes I I wish, you know, people would be more flexible with is, and, and I'm sure this has happened to you. You start out with a a concept or an idea, Hey, we're going to do this song this way. And accidentally someone hits a cue and it's, the wrong cue, but it looks awesome, and you're like, "Wait, go, what was that? Oh, that was just some of the focus I did. Oh my God, that looks incredible! Let's do that." You know, so you go, you started with one idea, and to me, that's the beauty of of lighting is I'm open to change on the fly. In you know, I'm talking about an, on a show where you know a big show, and if if we started with something, and all of a sudden we turned off all the lights, and it's just a one backlight and one key light, and it was. And that made it work, and it was beautiful. I'm game. Right? I don't care yeah. if we spent pre-viz time. I don't care what was put into it. I find though, like especially with content, someone had to build the content. So try turning the content creators and and whoever's running that. Hey, you know what? Just turn off the video. We don't need it. Look at this. This is this is this is just three lights, man. This is magic. No, but we built the content. We got to use it. Blah blah blah. You know. I'm like, I understand, but, but look at this magic that just happened. Like, this is incredible. Yeah, I know, but you know, we got it. You Okay, fine. So go ahead and use the content. It's not going to look, it's not going to have the same feel that we just accidentally stumbled across, but we were like, wow, we all agree. This is incredible. But because we, someone spent time on it, we're going to, we're going to use it. I find I've that's a struggle that I have. And I get resistance on that side versus I think in the lighting world, we're a little bit more open to like, yeah, man, that looks great. Let's go with it.
0: You're so right. Uh, what you're explaining is definitely an, an ego driven decision where uh, it, it's that it's, a, it's honestly an impoverished mentality. We're like, well, we spent money on this. We have to use it. Like, no, you don't. Yeah. I'm sorry. You wasted time, some time on that one, but, but we're making art here. We're not, we're not showing off the, the how much money we spent on this production. We're, we're trying to make something with some impact and some feeling to it.
1: Yeah. I, I think that that's, that's the part. And those are the moments that I get the most excited when you discover something that, that just organically happened, right. However it happened to it, a camera angle or the lights were in a certain position that had no business with this performance, but it, you're like, I never would have thought of that but now that I see it this is awesome let's do that let's explore it let's go down that path and and be and and being willing to start at a end up at z and it's a whole different a whole different vibe but everybody everybody jumped on board and made it work so that happened on the on the, a couple of times on the show that we just did the the Latin American Music Awards where we started one something we completely went in another direction and we're like wow this is beautiful you know Sometimes less is more. Sometimes more is you know better, but it didn't matter. We were willing to explore and 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 take the chance and and whatever. If if, if time was wasted or we had built something, we didn't care.
0: That's cool. That, that's uh. I think that's a lost art. That uh, I, I'm I'm sad to hear that that's going away. Sometimes because there it, there's such a, a place for that, the found art that exists when we when we have time to play and discover and learn about the rig you know that we're losing that
1: well i think and i think you know now and i just you know just discussing it with you i think it's probably a function of of the fact that you know lighting is a little bit harder to explain to a to a a talent or an artist you know you can just show them some beams uh but video is much more concrete right so Mm-hmm. you're now you're selling textures you're selling a concept you're selling a, a story a, a video story that that you know if this is going to be a, a, a rainbow or this is going to be uh stars or whatever the content is so once you get rid of that now there's something that we understand something's really missing and you can say hey what happened to that content of of the car or whatever but lighting what happened to the lighting oh the beam just changed angles right like a, it's mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a lot easier to, to, to pinpoint the missing content or the change in or shift in a content than it is to, Hey, I tilted those beams down and I put in a different gobo. No one really, the there, you know, <laughs> most people don't really know what just happened. It's a little more yeah. magical.
0: When you, when you swap out fan one for fan two, it, it's not necess- it's not nearly as traumatic as when you change somebody's dragon into a dove. Like, well, wait a minute this was a dragon content like that's it's a dove now
1: yeah no and then our lights have to you know you have to cut through all that video as well you know i find Mm -hmm. that's the other challenge is is yeah so we have a bunch of mega points or whatever beam fixture we have but but i also have a screen that's you know 80 feet wide and 30 feet high and for me to see those beams i'm going to have to you know lay on the haze and and we're gonna have to tilt those suckers down and 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 then it's like they don't even make sense now i'm seeing them but they don't even make sense their focus so so it's 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 i find that's a big challenge is is, is trying to to create a a lighting story in yeah. a moment and, and i think really i think a lot of times one of the best ways is you you know video has to come down it has to turn off it has to minimize it has to have more negative space that we just have to find more moments for lighting and i find as we're evolving with video and, and now with the xr stuff it's becoming the opposite you know we're becoming a lot more um you know complementary to the whole thing and there's a place for that as well but but you know, it's, it's not as fun for sure.
0: It quickly devolves into an arms race at that point. You're like, well, turn up the video. Now I have to turn up the lights. Now I have to turn up the video Now I have to turn up the lights. And the next thing you know, you're, you're just blowing everything out and trying to use as many pixels as possible. Not wondering why you should be using all those pixels. No, that's because completely them that's, available. That's,
1: that's exactly right. And, and so if, if you're a true professional and you really care, you have to show restraint and you have to say, okay, well, we still got to make this look right. And we got to balance it. And, and I'd love to do this. But I know for me to do that, it's going to take this and it's going to just, you know, screw everything up. So we have to settle, right. Mm-hmm. So it looks great. Everyone's happy. But eh, am I satisfied or fulfilled? Maybe not. You know, did it look great? Yes. But, you know, I don't know. It's just finding your place. You know, it's, it's, it's finding our place in this video world.
0: Yeah. So we are almost out of time, but I think you just led up to like a really good closing question here. Do you find that you're able to keep it more subdued and, and maybe even classier in the North American cultures and the, as opposed to the South American cultures where you have to get, where they want more movement and more action and follow-up question is it you that he still gets to make that decision between keeping it restrained and completely unrestrained? I think,
1: I think in general, if if we were going to, you know, paint with broad strokes, I would say, yeah, Hispanic TV tends to be more vibrant. Um, and maybe there's more movement, uh, in general, maybe a little more flash and trash in general. Um, But, but I find, you know, when, when we're down there, we kind of bring our, I don't want to say North American sensibilities down there, but you know, whatever we deem as proper uh, Mm -hmm. for the performance. And I think we really look at it, especially at the level we work at, you know, it, it, there's a lot of, uh, we have a lot of control, but um, we, we do it based on the music. What does the music say? What is, what is the artist asking for what is choreo demanding what is how are we shooting it you know will will we will we really see uh certain things if we do it this way if we're shooting it this way um so you know we take all those factors into consideration what do the producers want um Mm -hmm. so a lot of times there's it's not just where you say hey let's just go in this direction it's getting to the point where things are so scripted you know and there's already so much creative behind any performance that there might not be so much wiggle room in terms of of you know going big in one direction versus the other Uh, i think a lot of that probably has already been decided and and if it hasn't you know what we'll decide it will either be the music uh you know like i said the choreography how we're shooting it and you know maybe we'll add something for a particular camera shot or maybe we'll go over the top on something if we if we feel like we want to but uh, I don't ever feel the pressure to to have to go in one direction or the other when I'm in down there, and and and, and I don't necessarily think being here because I work in, in 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 Latin TV here in the U.S. too. I still work for a lot of those Hispanic networks, so it's basically the same artists. Um, I think more importantly, is the music has changed. A lot of the music that we deal with yeah. is like a reggaeton, mm-hmm. and it it's kind of subdued, you know. It's, it's not rap, but it's a very, it's very slow. And, and, and it, it's just, it, it doesn't have a lot of energy. So, you know, you would almost feel, you know, it would be out of place to be going nuts with some song and it's like, are you listening to the music? That doesn't make any sense. Like this is really, <laughs> it gets a little boring for us sometimes, you know, and, and, but, you know, we've also started to experiment, you know, getting away from the traditional, you know, spotlight, key light, north and south, backlight, uh, or you know, let's use footlights. Let's let's slam some JDC ones in from the side. Let's let's do color with the robo spots. So I almost find I very seldom will use a traditional front spot for a key light. You know, and I maybe fifty percent of the time I'm not even using white light. You know, it's just color. Uh, you're almost doing like music videos.
0: You yeah. know. That's exciting it's good to know that, yeah uh, you still go a little buck wild
1: well and that's that's the little niche that I find you know that gives me you know interest now is is with all the other things that are outside of our control and you know big video stories I can still paint the artist in that close up and I can make that beautiful and I can figure out how I want to edge it and what color I want to use in a footlight and a backlight so so that is like my little sacred you know that's what I hold dear. That's where I really, uh, that's where I like to spend my time, and that's what I enjoy the most. And, and like I said with our team, you know, we have guys that really love to do the big picture. We have guys that like to help me do what I'm doing. So everyone's contributing to the to the to the overall look, and and we're all into what we're doing, and, and we all you know work together well.
0: Right on. Sounds like you have uh, definitely cultivated your style and your team to achieve the best results
1: yeah and you know like i said earlier it's it's keeping yourself relevant and keeping yourself interesting and, and and you know we have to keep reinventing ourselves because we have to keep reinventing ourselves it's just that simple or someone's going to be reinventing for you so you just got to keep stepping stepping out of that box and and trying new things and experimenting and not being afraid to fail and and there is no such thing as a you know, failing it's just like I said you can just say that it was art that was a creative decision we made <laughs> you can always fall back on that
0: those are very wise words thank <laughs> you so much for your for, for your time John I really appreciate it uh, I look you got forward to it seeing Chris. You back out on the road someday and uh, I look forward to sharing a coffee with you on, next time we're on set
1: we, we, let's do that and I'm going to reach out to Luch now and get some more background on some of your uh, some war stories you got it. Thank you so much for your time, John. You got it. Take care.